Good morning. This is Northern Light for Monday, July 3rd. I'm Monica Sandreski. And I'm Todd Moe. Officials say New Yorkers should prepare for smoking conditions on and off all summer until the fall. The reality is this is going to be the new normal for New York. And until these wildfires are under control and we're doing our best to help them, we can expect that there'll be intervals, uh, episodes based on the wind shifts. Also, the state of Vermont is taking is starting a Truth and Reconciliation Commission to examine the intergenerational trauma of its eugenics policies in the early 1900s. Those laws wreaked havoc on thousands of indigenous Abenaki families. There's this, this loose end. There's these pieces where people want to be whole again and people want to have their families come back. They want to know what happened to them. And as part of our series on libraries in the North Country, we'll talk with the new director of Messina's Public Library. Krista Briggs has worked as a prison librarian and governor in Malone, and she wants to build Messina's reputation as a library for everyone. All of that and more is coming up on Northern Light. Stick with us. Broadcast of Northern Light here on North Country Public Radio is supported by the Village Mercantile, Saranac Lake, partnering with local nonprofit organizations to sell their merchandise through their e-commerce store, more at villagemerc.com. And by Apothecary Chocolates, making gourmet chocolates by hand from all-natural herbs, botanicals, and tree syrups, apothecarychocolates.com. This is Northern Light. I'm Monica Sandreski. And I'm Todd Moe. The state of Vermont is taking a hard look at the impact of its history of eugenics policies. Those were laws in the early 1900s sanctioning the forced institutionalization of thousands of people officials deemed mentally deficit deficient. Now, a century later, Vermont is starting an independent commission to examine the impact of intergenerational trauma and make policy recommendations. Monica Sandreski has more. From the late 1800s to the 1940s, scientists and leaders in Europe and North America perpetuated the immoral theory of racially improving humans through planned breeding and sterilization. New York ran a eugenics research institution on Long Island, and Vermont state-sanctioned eugenics rules targeted people who were poor, physically and intellectually disabled, mixed race, and part of the indigenous Abenaki nation. They were classified as gypsies and pirates and river rats and defectives. Patrick Standen is a philosopher at St. Michael's College in Vermont and a disability rights advocate. And then these organizations like the Children's Aid Society or the University of Vermont or the Medical Center, would come in under the guise of children's welfare or the betterment of the state or community and then institutionalize people or forcibly sterilize them. The damage was far-reaching. The state deemed thousands of people as feeble-minded and mentally deficient. Eventually, scientists started backing off from eugenics when they saw the Nazis' so-called Society for Racial Hygiene sanction the murder of hundreds of thousands of people who they referred to as life unworthy of life. The state of Vermont has made public apologies for the harm its eugenics policies caused, and now it's going further. 
The legislature is empowering Standen and two other commissioners to lead an independent Truth and Reconciliation Commission, similar to that of post-apartheid South Africa. One doesn't go in with a, you know, with any kind of lightness. It's a, it's a kind of seriousness of purposeness. You go in with a real sort of humble sense of responsibility. Standen says they're eager to hear from families who have been impacted by Vermont's eugenics policies, but he expects people to be hesitant to share. The Abenaki and others who have been traditionally discriminated against and and suffered some of these injustices by the very institution that we represent, the state of Vermont, it's going to be a hard sell. There's a degree of mistrust there that's going to have to be addressed and overcome, and rightly so. The burden of creating the conditions of trust lies on us. Vermont is still in the early stages of forming the commission. The other two commissioners are Melody Walker-Mackin of the Elnu Abenaki tribe and Mia Schultz, president of the Rutland Area NAACP. They have a budget of $750,000 every year for three years. And their task is to research the extent of the intergenerational trauma and make policy recommendations to the state. Standen says the racism and ableism that fueled eugenics didn't end in the 1940s, though. A lot of those hierarchies of humankind still haunt policymaking. Having just gone through the COVID tragedy, we saw a lot of people with disabilities not getting the care or black and other minority members who were discriminated against, you know, as we said, well, your life's not worth as much as this other person's. And so in a way, you know, eugenics is just a manifestation of that deeper set of prejudices that are still with us today, just in a different format. Ultimately, Standen is hopeful the commission will consider reparations for families and recommend the state integrate their research into public school curriculum to prevent racialized violence in the future. Monica Sandreski, North Country Public Radio. We did check in with the other two people on Vermont's Truth and Reconciliation Commission on Eugenics. Mia Schultz, uh, as I said, is the president of the Rutland Area NAACP. And Melody Walker-Mackin is a member of the state's Commission on Native American Affairs and a member of the Elnu Abenaki Nation. And Mackin says the evidence of the damage of Vermont's eugenics laws is pervasive in her community. In the 1920s, the state authorized the zoologist Henry Perkins to conduct a eugenics survey to identify, register, and intervene in families who were deemed unfit to conceive future Vermonters, including many Abenaki families. So my family was one of the families that has quite a bit of documentation in the eugenics survey, and it's really heartbreaking. And and honestly... The way that people kind of shut that part of their history out, but all of it still lingers. I I found out about uh, our involvement in the survey um, only in the last year. Now that I look back, I'm like, oh, that's why people didn't want to go to the doctor. That's why people didn't find any institutions really trustworthy here. That's why my grandfather said they used to have their babies and hide the babies so they wouldn't get taken. Even in their dying wishes, my great-grandmother, she didn't want anyone to know where she was buried. And I didn't realize that it was so close. There is a lot of mistrust. There is still a lot of pain. Um, You know, I remember there was an article in, I think it was the St. Albans Messenger, and the, the comments were like, oh, this happened so long ago. Why is there an apology? 
there are people that we've been talking to that still remember losing part of their family that were taken during that whole period of time that went out and into the world and, and were adopted. And now they're like, I wonder where they went. And there's this this loose end. There's these pieces where people want to be whole again and people want to have their families come back. They want to know what happened to them. You know, we want to make sure people are able to tell their stories. And hopefully that's part of the healing. But how do you build trust again? So I will say I come from a community that was very heavily targeted and um, it's heartbreaking and people never forget it. I think one of the the first times I ever went to tribal council when I was young, the chief at the time was having their dog snipped and they said, okay, I'm off to give the Perkins treatment. It was like so pervasive that it was, it's like a part of the way they were functioning. And sometimes humor is a way to help recover. And it was very clear what was happening now that I look back at everything. I mean, you asked the very question I had written down about trust. I mean, how do you answer that question? How do you rebuild trust? How do you see trust building maybe look different for different people? How are you thinking about that? Um, This is me. I would just reflect that the scope of our work is beyond like eugenics, right? This was meant to also address the systemic barriers that generations of other groups of people have experienced, right? And what I know about trust building is that it takes difficult conversations. It takes relationship building over time, meeting people where they're at and asking them what they need to move forward. And so that's how we plan to approach this work, right? Is to be guided by the people who have been impacted. And then when we're able to build that trust, we can bring that back to those who have been part of this system of oppression so that we can we can move forward with real meaningful solutions. Yeah, exactly what Mia said. This is Melody. We all, we have to hear from people to figure out what justice looks like for them. And so this also needs to be community led. For me, reconciliation, um, we have to get to a place where people even feel comfortable um, using the services that would really benefit them. Um, Being able to go to the doctor without wondering. That was Melody Walker-Mackin and Mia Schultz. They're heading up Vermont's Truth and Reconciliation Commission on Eugenics. Listening to Northern Light here on North Country Public Radio. It's 8:11. Good morning. I'm Todd Moe. And I'm Monica Sandreski. Just ahead, Messina has a new public library director. We'll talk with Krista Briggs about her lifelong love of books. That conversation in just a few minutes here on Northern Light.
Music by Colton guitarist Paul Myers. You can find more of his music on our website. Check out the Underscore Project at ncpr.org slash underscore. Air quality ratings, uh, moderate to good for the North Country today. That's according to airnow.gov. Check that out. It's updated hourly. You can find it at, on the website, airnow.gov. And there's also a link on our website on the weather page at ncpr.org. Northern Light is supported by Adirondack Experience, the museum on Blue Mountain Lake, presenting a full season of events and activities, now open seven days a week. Tickets at theadkx.org. And Siegel Festival in Scroon Lake, bringing opera and musical theater to the Adirondacks since 1915. More at seagullfestival.org. There are still hundreds of wildfires burning north of us in Canada. Officials say New Yorkers should prepare for smoky conditions on and off all summer until the fall. That means regularly checking air quality conditions before you head outside. From Albany, Karen DeWitt has more. Twice during the month of June, state health officials have had to issue alerts about unhealthy air quality caused by smoke from the unusually large number of Canadian wildfires. Those fires continue to burn, and Governor Kathy Hochul at a recent briefing says the smoke will return periodically. The reality is this is going to be the new normal for New York. And until these wildfires are under control and we're doing our best to help them, we can expect that there'll be intervals uh, episodes based on the wind shift. Hochul says it's difficult to predict exactly when the smoky northern air will spread into the state and how long it will last. The governor recommends downloading the EPA's airnow.gov app where you can check the air quality for your zip code. The state's Department of Environmental Conservation website is also monitoring air quality levels. And state officials plan to get the word out in the coming days and weeks through message boards on major highways and cell phone text alerts. Until now, those had been reserved for major emergencies like tornadoes and blizzards. The governor recommends that people become familiar with what the numbers mean. Here's what we need to know. If your numbers are over higher than 200, it's very unhealthy or even hazardous. And everyone on those scenarios should stay inside or be masked. We also are talking about the air quality between 150 and 151 and 200. That is the red zone on our map and everyone will be impacted. She says when the air quality is coded red, then everyone needs to limit their time outdoors. And she says as much as New Yorkers are sick of them, it's time to get those high-quality masks back out of the drawer and put them on. When the air quality is between 100 and 150, people in sensitive groups need to take precautions. Those include people with lung and heart issues, pregnant people, and small children. Hochul and health officials say the most important thing you can do to cope with the periodic smoke is to monitor your own symptoms. A runny nose, cough, or watery eyes is the body's way of trying to reject the toxins from the fires that are entering people's lungs. If you don't feel well, they say, go inside. In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt. Heavy rains over the weekend caused significant flooding in the northeastern part of the North Country. Clinton County was under a flash flood warning yesterday. My NBC 5 posted photos on Twitter of an inundated campground in Ellenberg Depot. 
The National Weather Service warned of flooding along the Great Chazier River after the area received three to five inches of rain Saturday. Governor Hochul issued a statement yesterday saying state emergency officials were deploying the region to help local leaders and provide assistance. Hochul urged local leaders, local residents to avoid flooded roads, monitor local forecasts and prepare supplies in the unlikely event of an evacuation order. The Town of Plattsburgh's third annual Michigan Month celebration kicked off last week. This marks the return of the Michigan Passport Program, which promotes the four restaurants in the town that serve the hot dog with meat sauce regional favorite. Now through July 31st, participants can fill out their passports by visiting Gus's Red Hots, Ronnie's Michigan Stand, Claire and Carl's, and McSweeney's Red Hots. Passports can be picked up at the Plattsburgh Town Hall, North Country Chamber of Commerce, or any of the participating restaurants. The first 25 people to complete and return their passports to the town will get a free Michigan Month t-shirt. And later this month, the town will host the second annual Michigan Mile Fun Run at Katyville Red Red Park. Tomorrow is the 4th of July, a big day for grilling hot dogs, hamburgers, and sharing other foods outside. But taking the proper precautions when preparing food will keep everyone from getting sick. Travis O'Donnell works for the State Department of Health and says there are some key safety tips for staying healthy during the grilling season. So making sure that hot food is cooked to the proper temperature, making sure cold food stays cool. And, uh, you know, simple things, washing your hands before you start to work with that raw hamburger meat uh, are simple ways that you can make sure that your holidays aren't ruined by uh, nasty bugs. The USDA recommends not eating ground beef patties that are pink Uh, that are red or pink in the middle unless a food thermometer is used to verify the temperature. Besides grilling and barbecues, the 4th of July also has a special meaning in Alexandria Bay, special edition multicolored popcorn. The new owners of Nav's Popcorn are today's Heard Up North. I'm Griffin Whitty, better known as Griff. I'm making some cherry-flavored popcorn right now. We have a flavor for the 4th of July called um, Red Ched and Blue. Red Ched and Blue? What does Ched stand for? Cheddar. So we mix white cheddar with our red cherry and our blueberry flavor. So you just got to move it around a little bit here and there. And um, eventually it hardens up enough as individual popcorns or we can dump it into a bin. I'm from Rochester, New York, but um, my parents had recently acquired the shop, so I'm living down here for the summer and I'm working for them. My name is Missy Whipple. My husband Ben and I bought the business this past year. I have a lot of fun popping popcorn and selling popcorn and all things popcorn here, so we're having a good time. Hi! That's Lily. She's the youngest. Uh Uh-huh. So she's growing up in a popcorn store. It's uh, such a fun type of business. So much fun. <laughs> it doesn't feel like work. What's the most fun like thing about it, or what do you enjoy about it? Talking to people. Giving samples. I mean, who's not happy when they're buying popcorn? That was Griffin Witty and Missy Whipple from Nav's Popcorn in Alexandria Bay. Lucy Grindin produced this Heard Up North.
You're listening to Northern Light here on North Country Public Radio. I'm Todd Moe. And I'm Monica Sandreski. Coming up in just a minute, a dream job for a North Country book lover. Then stick around after the show for Bird Note just ahead at 842. But first, Todd has a look at the weather for us. Clouds, occasional rain today. The weather service says uh, temperatures in the upper 70s, low 80s this afternoon. A chance of scattered showers, thunderstorms tonight as well, with lows in the 60s overnight. And then tomorrow, the 4th of July, about a 30% chance of isolated showers. Highs again, upper 70s, low 80s tomorrow. Light winds out of the east-northeast. Sunshine on Wednesday and Thursday with highs in the 80s, mid to upper 80s on Wednesday and Thursday. Uh, Air quality right now in the North Country, uh, rated moderate to good, according to airnow.gov. In Canton, we have some uh, thick fog and 69 degrees. As part of our ongoing series on libraries in the North Country, we stopped by the Messina Public Library to talk with one of the region's newest library directors. Krista Briggs is in the first month at the Messina Library, but she's no stranger to books and running a library. She grew up in Governor, and she says, an introvert loving books and reading. And I would hide in the stacks of the Governor reading room and that was how I spent my time, mostly as a kid. I, I was that kid that got yelled at to go outside and play, but I was up in my room reading. <laughs> you could never punish me by sending me to my room. Do you have a favorite genre? I'm a fantasy girl. I love fantasy. <laughs> you know, real life is not all it's cracked up to be. Fantasy's better. <laughs> yeah. Before landing her dream job in Messina, Krista Briggs spent 12 years as the teen services specialist at the Canton Library and then five years in corrections as prison librarian in Governor and Malone. Probably what would be uh, most surprising to people is that incarcerated people love the library. It, it's For many of them, it's what gets them through their time in there. And uh, even if they never read on the outside, when they're inside, they they can become voracious readers. Um, What may be even more shocking than that is they have pretty good respect for the library. Because it's a privilege for them, they are often very well behaved in there and value what we have, what, what we offer them. So that was, I I can honestly say it was a very fulfilling job. It really was. Krista Briggs gave me a tour of the Messina Library during my visit. Its main reading room is flooded with natural light from huge picture windows. It also has a more intimate reading lounge, children's room, and an activity space and used bookstore on the lower level. Briggs says she wants to build on the Messina Library's reputation as a place for everyone. One of the first things I did when I got here was read through the long-range plan of the library, and that included reading through some of the community surveys that had been done over the years. And I saw a lot of the comments made by the community of things that they would like the library to do. So one of the things that stuck out for me was senior programming. There seem to be a lot of requests for that, and I think that Messina has done a, a really good job of that, actually, with the, the Jerry Fit program, uh, Walk with Ease, 
We do a, a Friday movie, a Friday afternoon movie that's usually geared towards a senior audience. So there's actually a really good set of programs here for seniors. What I would like to do is um, I'm working on putting together a plan to expand some outreach to the nursing home. Mm. While I was there, Canton had a great outreach program to the senior living facilities in Canton. So I asked them for their policy, and I've been kind of working on it to adapt it to Messina. I think that would be really, really useful to this community. I think it's interesting, though, you mentioned the senior programming because a lot of libraries seem to have really great young people programs with books for children and that sort of thing and story time and and, and whatnot. But the other end of the scale is the older uh, audience as well. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. There was some criticism when I was getting into teen programs that uh, libraries tended to really nurture young readers, and then once they reached a certain age, they were just kind of on their own. And I felt like I was kind of filling that gap by doing the the teen programs, by, by drawing teenagers in. And now I think it's important to to do the same for an older generation. So that's what I'm looking to do. And I again, I really think that Messina has done a good job, a great job doing so already. I just want to expand on it. We live in a real digital world. What does being a library mean today, I guess? Um, a lot of the folks that I've talked to already as part of the series have said that a library needs to sort of grow with its community and move forward with the community in terms of the needs and that kind of thing. Would you agree that the libraries are more than books and that they're, in some ways, they're kind of a community hub? I absolutely agree. Yeah. And I think I think the role that libraries play in in a community is as an equalizer. They provide wireless for people who may not have a computer at home. They they provide provide DVDs for people who don't have Netflix. You know, they they kind of they're here to fill in the gaps to a certain extent. I as I was going over that long range plan, one of the things in it was a goal to bring more people into the library, and and certainly that's a goal, but. I think that expectations for that need to be shifted post-COVID. COVID COVID dropped numbers for pretty much every industry, and I don't think they're ever going to go back. I don't. Um, I think what we need to do is go out. So I've been looking at opportunities to get out in the community more. We're going to set up a booth at the Rock in the River event here in Messina, in August, and I just want to go out there and hand out books and should tell people about our services and talk to them and, and, you know, just be out where they are. And I think that's the only way to get them to connect with us because if we've become a more digital world, which we absolutely have, they need to know that we provide that service too. The North Country Library System has a fantastic ebook collection. And if you want to cheat and go beyond that, the New York Public Library has a fantastic ebook collection that anyone in New York State can get a card for and access. <laughs> it's great. I have two cards. I have <laughs> North Country Library System and New York Public Library System, and I get all the books I want. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. <laughs> and a lot of people don't know that that's something they can do. So if we're out there in the community where people who aren't in the library are, then we can tell them about these things. And maybe it's not about getting them in the door. Maybe it's about getting them online. Maybe it's about just connecting with them. 
Maybe our in-building numbers aren't ever going to get up to what they were pre-COVID, but maybe that's okay. Maybe we just do something else. Krista Briggs is the new public library director in Messina. By the way, after serving the Messina Public Library for 23 years, Elaine Dunn retired last week as director. She says she'll continue to be an active library patron. She was thanked last month by the Messina Town Board for her service to the library and the community. So let us know about your favorite library or librarian in the North Country. You can email us, radio at ncpr.org. up the show today with a little bit of music by the group Drink the Gold. The Saratoga Springs duo is performing as part of the Great Camp Sagamore Summer Concert Series in Racket Lake Wednesday evening at 7.15. It's free and open to the public. This is their song Drunk at Night and Dry in the Morning. Thanks for listening this morning. I'm Todd Moe. And I'm Monica Sandreski. Be well.